The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. Um, Revelation, where if you were here last week, uh, you heard us start talking about the parts of Revelation that get people all woo about stuff. Uh, it's the stuff about these seals get cracked open and all these judgments happen and the four horsemen of the apocalypse. We're getting into the place now where there's this graphic, like graphic novel, apocalyptic is the, is the style of literature that is. It's full of graphic imagery. And the imagery is designed to address our emotions and our imaginations in ways that just pure logic and teaching never could. It's, it's supposed to shake us up a little bit, and we're at that place doing it. And from here on out, what we're going to look at in Revelation, I'm telling you guys, there is a great diversity of interpretation on what these things mean. Great godly men and women differ significantly on what these particular visions and things, what they are, when they happen, who this is all about. And one of the big things we're trying to do here is, as on my job here, is to try to communicate to you what John meant when he wrote this all down. But I think if we were to bring John here today and ask John, what did you mean? He'd go, I don't know. I just wrote stuff down. I got this vision that appeared to me and I wrote it down. He wouldn't be all sure of the implications and application on it. And it's the, the discussion sometimes, is this about future stuff, way off in the future about Revelation, or is it happening right now? Is it literal stuff? Or is it more symbolic, telling us like the nature and what this is, a bigger thing that's going on here? And you can see it there, something to remember with the Bible and especially Revelation, the big mistake that people have made, especially in the evangelical West in the last hundred years, is this. We focus on the obscure and miss the obvious. Don't want to do that. So here's what we're going to do. No, no matter what the particular stance you might have on, is it literal or symbolic? Is it right now or is it just in the future? We're going to wrestle with the implications and applications of this, no matter what your particular interpretation might be. So we get to Revelation chapter 8 today. We're going to kind of go jump around back and forth a little bit. Revelation chapter 8, look at verse 6. It says, after the scene Danny just read for us about the the silence in heaven and the thunder and lightning and the, all that. It says, then the seven angels with seven trumpets prepared to blow their mighty blasts. Now, you and I hear that and go, okay, seven angels. In their culture, they had stories in their culture from other literature, not literature that's in the Bible, but from their literature about the seven angels. And they knew who they were. They knew who the angels were. And they, these angels all had trumpets that they would blow uh, to sound the alarm is oftentimes in the scriptures what trumpets are for. Uh, you, you can look, look at some verses there. Joel chapter 2, verse 1, Ezekiel 33, talked about this idea that, hey, when the watchman standing post looks out there and sees that there's danger out there, he, he blows the alarm, sounds the alarm. This is what's happening here. It's a wake-up call. It's a warning sounding the alarm saying, hey, something is wrong here. What he's doing in Revelation is, hey, humanity, human beings... You're going the wrong hunking way. Turn around. You keep going that way, you're going to make a mess out of your life. And the tricky part with alarms is just like when you hear a car, like the car alarm we played here. What if a car alarm goes off today? What do you do? Nothing, right? We ignore it. 
It's just one, one of our alarm things, yada, 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 whatever, until the time that the car alarm does go off and they did steal your car or rip off stuff, then you start paying attention to it, right? But a lot of times it's easy to look at the alarms, and God's going, I've been trying to give you alarms, small ones, medium-sized ones, and now we get to Revelation where he goes, I'm going to turn up the alarms to make sure you don't, you can't say, well, I just didn't really hear it with all the distraction. There's going to be no doubt about what's going on. You'll see there on the note sheet there on the back of your program, what's in chapter 8 and chapter 9. I've got it quickly summarized there for you. The first four warning bells that go off, the first trumpets that go off, talk about this idea of nature going berserk. Uh, the vegetation, the oceans, the freshwater, the celestial bodies, nature's going berserk, interrupting the food supply, uh, it's, nature gets disrupted, and uh, it tells us there that a third of these things are impacted. And you go, the third, that's, that's pretty, that's gnarly, that's bad. The thing to keep in mind here, what John's telling us is, God's doing everything he can to get our attention before he has to wipe the whole thing out. So he's going, I'm trying to get your attention. It's, it's going to be bad, it's dramatic, but I'm not here to wipe everything. I want to get your attention. And then in chapter 9, you can read the rest of chapter 8 and 9 on your own. <laughs> I would not suggest you read chapter 9 before going to bed tonight, especially if you're on medication or if you had dreams, because there is bizarre, wacko, there is weird stuff in here. The fifth trumpet that blows talks about these grotesque, bizarre locusts that have this ability to, like, they're like mutant locusts. You can look at it here in chapter 9, it says, verse 7, the horses looked like horses prepared for battle, Gold crowns on their head. They had hair like women's hair. Human faces, teeth like the teeth of a lion. They wore armor made of iron. It's like some grotesque, bizarre, mutant locust things that come up. And they have the ability to harm people. It says not to kill them, but to make them wish they were dead. And they could do that for five months, it says. So this, the fifth one is this <laughs> bizarre locust horde. And then the sixth trumpet goes off, and it's this massive demonic horde on horses. But it tells us in here, um, verse 17, the horses, the riders on them, riders wore armor, fire red and dark blue and yellow. Horses had heads like lions, and fire and smoke and burning sulfur billowed from their mouths. Talks about that, and then it tells us in verse 19, their power was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails had heads like snakes with the power to injure people. Now, if you're looking at that right now, go going, what in the world is this? all about. There's all kinds of opinions about what this is. There's, I think there's three options. One of them is that this might actually be something that's going to happen at some point. We're going to see locusts, bizarre mutant locusts, and crazy horses with riders and with their tails have snake heads on them. That's very possible. That's exactly what he's seeing here. That's what's going to happen someday. Or uh, what other people have thought is it's John seeing a futuristic vision, and it's of advanced military hardware and technology, and he just has no way to describe it, so it could be that. And then it might be what John is trying to do, because remember the title of this book is The Apocalypse, The Revelation, which all this means is to reveal something, to pull back the curtain and show us maybe what he's trying to do is show us how evil, evil really is. That we tend to look at evil and go, oh, what's the big deal? Or we think, okay, that's someday off in the future, but that's not right now. I think we make a mistake when we think the evil and how evil is. We think we kind of minimize it. We mitigate the consequences of it. I was talking to some people this week, Kevin, who oversees our men's ministry here, Sam Tate, who did, uh, deals with people dealing with addiction and recovery here. I'm telling you guys right now, 
My personal conviction is that the horses and the locusts are already here. Tormenting people, hurting people, causing damage here. And what, John, what Jesus is doing for John and for us is peeling back on this is what's happening here. And it's happening at a much bigger level. And the impacts of sin and evil are so horrifying and terrible. The very character and nature of it is not like, oh, it's just a little bit of sin. That's how we feel about sin, right? It's just a little sin. You go, no. This is horrifying, evil, terrible stuff that you're involved in. When you get involved in addiction, when you get involved in unfaithfulness, when you get involved in materialism and greed, it makes a mess out of things. Um, Here's why I think that, that that might be a bit more what's going on here. And again, I might be wrong on this. I'm just telling you my personal conviction interpretation is after studying this for the last couple of years is, is because John, who writes this, is writing this, is composing this revelation thing, also wrote the book of John, and then he wrote the, first, the books called 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, little letters. And in those letters, you know what he says? He says, hey, brothers and sisters, hey, church at Temecula, hey, church in Ephesus, hey, church in Smyrna, you have heard that someday the... Antichrist is coming, and it's like this massive world leader. But you know what he says? Antichrists are already here. You've heard someday the tribulation is coming. Tribulation's already here. You've heard the mark of the beast is coming. Spoiler alert for you, the mark of the beast is already here. And it's not the vaccine you got, or your credit card chip, or any of that kind of nonsense. Despite what the crazy people on the websites tell you. Oops, probably should have not said that. Um, Whatever this is, whatever this is that's going on here, this is what you do. We don't quite sure exactly what the character is. What's clear what God is doing here is God is allowing, maybe even causing significant pain to get our attention. The Bible is going to make it very clear. I couldn't put all the verses on your note today. Google it sometime where it tells us about the love of God. It says that God, by his very nature, God is love, but he has to be provoked to anger. It says he's slow to anger, abounding in love. Love just overflows, but God loves you and I enough to cause or allow significant pain to go, hey, are you going to pay attention? Because if I don't get your attention with some significant pain, the biggest, most terrible thing that will happen to you is not this pain, but the consequences of living a life of rebellion and separation from me forever. He's get on the right track. He's trying to get our attention. Will you turn around? And we can see here at the end of chapter 9, Look what the world's reaction is. It's, this is not just a future reaction. This is the reaction that the world has to the consequences of sin and evil right now. Verse, chapter 9, verse 20. But the people who did not die in these plagues still refused to repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. They continued to worship demons and idols made of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, and iPhone 75, and social media, and Netflix and Hulu, and what idols that can neither see nor hear nor walk, and they did not repent of their murders or their witchcraft or their sexual immorality or their thefts. He goes, I'm trying to get your attention. And this crazy, bizarre stuff is happening. He goes, goes, goes. Some quotes here from uh, Daryl Johnson and from uh, Eugene Peterson from their books. They're on, there's a little uh, uh, QR code somewhere there on your program today. I think it's in the back, in the back part. Um, that's going to talk about the trail guide to Revelation. These resources are there. I'd encourage you, get, get these books and read them. But, but they say some things about the trumpet judgments. That they say it so well. It says, the trumpets show the wicked world being offered mercy. 
The offer is not accepted, and the world will not, in fact, repent, but let it never be said that God has not done all in his power, even to the devastation of his own perfect earth, in order to bring men and women to their senses. And this is what one of their guys says. He said, we do everything we can to make light of judgment. We use every strategy we can to avoid dealing with the consequences of sin, but God will not let us off. He will not, I love this line, indulge our inattention. He will take us seriously. However practiced we become at tuning out sounds that we don't want to hear, including the sound of God's displeasure at sin, God finds new ways to penetrate our defensive deafness. And the big question to the pondering problem, whatever it is, that question on your sheet is this, what's it going to take to get your attention? Because I know for some of us, God got our attention early and whatever, we saw some things when we came, but I know there's some of us here where we've jacked up our lives, jacked up other people's lives, and, and I know for a fact that sometimes God goes, okay, I brought a little bit of pain in there so it gets your attention. That obviously hasn't worked, so nobody got to turn it up. We got to turn the heat up. God says, I will do whatever it takes to get your attention. Now, what you do with it, up to you. What's it going to take, pal? What's it going to take for you to fully got to go, what am I doing here? And turn around and repent. In the middle of the, the judgments we looked at last week were the seven seals on that scroll. As those cracked open, these, we saw the things. Look, take, you can go to our website and listen to or watch that last week. So there's the seal judgments. When the seventh seal gets opened, these seven trumpets sound. So these crazy, bizarre stuff is going on. In the middle of it, at the end of chapter 6, I told you guys, this is the spoiler alert, where John sees all this stuff going on, he goes, who can survive? Who, who can stand in the midst of this? And the answer is, nobody, because it's making a mess at everything. And this is where chapter divisions are not helpful to us in our Bibles, because we're not supposed to stop reading at the end of chapter 6. You know what the answer to the, to the question, who can survive? <laughs> not just who can survive, who's going to thrive Who's going to kick the face out of, the, the, the kicks evil and Satan in, in the face? He says, my people are going to survive. Not just survive, they're going to thrive. And then we're going to look at chapter 7 now. So listen fast, because i got a lot to do tonight. It says, then I saw, chapter 7, verse 1. I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds so they didn't blow on the earth or the sea or even on any tree. This is probably just a different way of describing the four horsemen we just saw in the previous chapter. Just a different way of talking about this, this judgment of four. And I saw, I saw, that's an important thing, another angel coming up from the east carrying the seal of the living God. And he shouted to those four angels who had been given power to harm land and sea, wait, don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have placed the seal of God, you might want to write in your margin, the mark of God on the foreheads of his servants. And then verse four, and I, what's that next word there? Heard. Mark that in your Bible. That's very important. I heard how many were marked with the seal of God. 144,000 were sealed from all the tribes of Israel. And then it goes on and gives a list from Judah, from Reuben, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes, totaling 100. And 44,000. That's what he hears of who's going to be sealed. But we don't quite know what the sealed things means. We'll look at that in a second. It says, and then after this, I saw, I saw a vast crowd too great to count. Well, that's different. 
144,000, and now Bascrat, wait, what? So what he hears is different than what he sees. Because he hears 144,000 just from the tribes of Israel. Too great to count. From every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne before the Lamb. They were clothed and marked this in your Bible with white robes and held palm branches in their hands. That doesn't mean anything to you and I live in the 21st century. We're going to get to that in a second. And they were shouting with a mighty shout, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings and they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and worshiped God. They sang, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever, amen. They are excited about this. Now, when you read this and see this, one of the mistakes I think people make sometimes is we hear 144,000 and we have different religions, both Christian religions and cult-type religions that have said, oh, it's only 144,000 and what are you going to do to make sure you're one of the ones that gets sealed with, with the seal and all that kind of thing? Uh, I, I'm going to tell you today that I don't believe John and Jesus are wanting us to believe that the 144,000 is just Jewish people. 12,000. Here's what some of the commentators have said. They said the number is too, it's, if it's a census, it's, it's, it's like, come on. If you were to go census 12 different cities and they all had actual even numbers of people in there, you go, somebody cooked the books or what's going on here? What John is trying, what Jesus is trying to do here is tell us that this number is, it's a suspiciously tidy sort of number that is much more likely to be a symbol than it is a measurement or statistic. It's this idea because of 12 tribes and then 12 times 12 is 144 and then times 1,000. It's like, it's the completeliness of it. It's the absolute wholeness and completeness of God's people. And I, and I believe that because it says I heard that and it was only 140, oh, 144,000. I turned around and I saw a big massive crowd. Well, that's different because if I heard one thing, saw another. Remember, we saw this earlier in Revelation, right? John says, I heard that there was a lion coming. And I turned around and see the big lion. And you know what I turned around and saw? A lamb. A baby little lamb. Hearing and seeing. Sometimes it gets clarified here in Revelation. And I don't believe that it's just Jewish people, people of Jewish heritage and ethnicity that are being sealed. I believe the number, like he says here in verse 9, it's a number too, too big to count. And they're not just from the Jewish nation. They're from every tribe, every language, every nation. And guys, we, we get a hint of this. If you look back at verse 5, in verse 5, it gives us the list of the tribes of Israel. Do you know this is the only place in the Bible where Judah is mentioned first as the, as the number one in the, in the, in the tribes of Israel? He's not because he's not the oldest son. Reuben's, Reuben's always mentioned first. You know why Judah gets mentioned first here? It's a little hint. You go, you know why Judah's mentioned first? Guess where Jesus came from? The tribe of Judah. So he's going, hey, Jesus has won the thing. And now, here's what he's saying to us, I think. The Jewish people, they were, they were at the beginning. God chose Abraham to say, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. You are, the Israelites are my chosen People, But now that chosen people has expanded beyond Israel because he tells Abraham, when he first starts him, when it's Abraham and Sarah, he says, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. He says, through you, 
All the nations of the earth will be blessed. You know what that means? Jesus is gonna come from your nation. God's gonna come into the world, being birthed into your world, and is gonna become a Jewish human being, live and die and rise again to save the world. That's, that's what he's, what's going on here. Um, and it, we, we also know this, too, from... Uh, oh, I missed it. It, it tells us in, in uh, Romans 2.27... Paul is writing about this, and he's saying, look, God loves the Jewish people. I want the Jewish people to say, but he says this, a true Jew is not about ethnicity or religion. A true Jew is anyone who believes in Jesus, Romans 2.27. Galatians 6.16, these are just some selective verses, lots of these in the, in the Bible, calls the Gentile church people the true Israel of God. But what's happened now is, at one point, Israel was God's chosen people. You know who God's chosen people are today? Anybody believes in Jesus from every tribe, every nation, every language under heaven. So I think it's bigger than just 144,000. It's, it's designed to say it's perfectly perfect and perfectly complete, but it's not just about the chosen people of the ethnic uh, heritage of, of, of Jews. He says, I want the whole world to be saved. Jewish people, Gentile people, Greeks, Polish people, Californian people, even people from wherever. I want the whole world to be saved. He also talks in there about the idea, look at verse, he's going to give them the seal of God, the mark of God on them. And back then, one of the questions that comes up with that is like, okay, so someday is God going to come down or going to be a J-E-S-U-S on our foreheads? Well, back then in that culture, they would have seen this all the time. People got marked, branded when they were owned by somebody, like slaves and servants and those kind of things. Uh, the Jewish people also had these things called phylacteries. They would, they, would, they would tie around their foreheads and around their arms to symbolize their commitment to Christ. Uh, to, not to Christ at that point, but to God. So that the forehead was a, a prominent way to display who you were devoted to. I didn't think about this phrase until the media was already done, so it won't come up on the screen, but you should write this down. It's about the heart, not the mark. It's about your heart, not the mark. Keep that in mind when we get to the Mark of the Beast stuff coming in a few weeks. That's one of the things that people get the most geeked out about when we get to, to, to Revelation. It's what the mark is all about. It's marking off who worships and serves and loves Jesus. That's who he said is going to stand in the midst of all this craziness of the seals' judgments and the trumpet judgments and the bowls and all the crazy bizarre stuff coming from the beast and the Antichrist and the dragon and all of that. It says there, though, in verse 9, we just read it. He said, I saw this great tribe, bigger than 144,000 from every place. And it says they were holding, they were clothed in white robes holding palm branches. Now, you and I hear that in the 21st century and go... That just sounds boring. We're gonna go to heaven and be like, I have a bathrobe that's white. Who wears a robe and a palm branch? It's because we're not from 96 AD, we're from 2022 AD. Back in that culture, you know what white robes stood for? The white robes were what, what the soldiers and the victory parade would do after the soldiers come and conquered a city or conquered a nation, they would have this big massive celebration parade. Guess what all the soldiers wore? White robes. They don't wear their armor in there, and the robes are like, it's decked out and good. And we know this from ancient literature, that palm branches always stand for victory and winning. 
You can find this, uh, if you Google this, on coins, on tablets from that time. Whenever there was the palm branches up, it symbolizes this person is supreme. This side has won the battle, has won the war. So it symbolizes victory. There's a, and it's a mighty victory shout that's going on here. People are all geeked out and excited. Like, what God has done here this is fantastic and amazing. And it says they're sealed. Um, John's seeing all this. Look at verse 13 now. Then one of the 24 elders asked me, who are these who are clothed in white? Where did they come from? And John's going, I don't know. <laughs> Sir, you're the one who knows. Like, I have no idea. Because John looks around and goes, I see nobody who's winning. If all these visions... The whole world's cataclysmically falling apart, and Christians by the thousands are being slaughtered and killed. I don't know who these winner people are, because I don't see any winners anywhere out here. And then he said to me, he answered the question, these are the ones who died in or came out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and made them white. This idea of the great tribulation they came out of that. And some people think that the great tribulation is this idea of at the end of days, there's an actual time period. Some people think it's an actual literal seven years or something. It's just a, a period of time at the end of days that's the great tribulation. And I'm going to tell you, I believe that they're right. That the great tribulation is uh, earmarked and is a time of that happens in the last days. But you know when the last days started? When Jesus was born. Jesus is born, Herod tries to kill him. We're gonna see that in chapter 12. <laughs> it's gonna be a bizarre a Christmas story like you've never seen Christmas before. It would disturb your children today hear this version of Christmas. Um, so they, uh, I, I lost my place there. Sorry about that, guys. Um, the Great Tribulation, it's the, the last days are coming and the last days are already here. In fact, uh, Peter after Jesus has lived and died and rises back from the dead, and then the Holy Spirit comes and just it, people become Christians by the thousands. Everybody's like, what in the world is this all about? And Peter, in Acts chapter 2, quotes from Joel, and he says, this is what God told us would happen in the last days. The last days started in when Jesus was born, lived, died, and rose again. That's when the last days started. And you know when the tribulation started? Then. Now, it also might refer to it seems like with this, that judgment and evil, if we're not going to get better and better, there's going to come a, a great maybe end time of where it's really going to be get awful and intense or something like that. But what you need to see here, too, sometimes people have thought that because these people are sealed, it means that, that we are sealed from the great tribulation. Nope. We are not sealed from tribulation. We are sealed in it. We are safeguarded in it. We are not protected from, we are protected through tribulation. This is super important because some of you are going to go through tribulation. You're going to go, I don't know when the great tribulation is coming, but this feels like great tribulation to me right now. The terrible, awful, nasty things going on in my life feels like great tribulation right now. You need to know this. God has not promised to protect you from that. He'll protect you through it and safeguard your faith through it. Because remember what John is trying to do here? Well, Jesus is trying to do it. John's writing it down for us. It's the number one thing we've told you over and over again. He wants to inspire faithfulness to Jesus in the midst of overwhelming persecution and temptation and trials and difficulty. That's what it's here for, to inspire you for that. Say, guys, you can be part of the winning side even when everything is falling apart. And then I love this. 
Hmm, I'd love to, because he said, you, you can win in this. You don't have to get your butt kicked by the trials. When everybody else is failing and falling apart and it feels like Satan and evil and demons are winning, you know what you do? You kick him right in the teeth because you survive and you thrive in the midst of this. I'm going to give you the game plan, the strategy for that in just a second. But you see what happens here? It says these people are wearing robes made white in the blood of the lamb. It's a euphemism for the idea. Back then, when the soldiers wore white robes, you know what everybody thought? The soldiers were slaughtered. They shed their blood to win this victory. You know what Jesus is saying here? My soldiers don't shed one drop of their blood. You cannot make atonement for yourself. The lamb did it for you. And it's this great, we've gotten so used to, for those of you who are newer at this, that from time to time we sing songs about that we've been washed in the blood of the lamb. That's deeply disturbing. You realize that, right? Who gets excited about it? Like, let's go take, let's go kill a lamb Put it in the laundry thing, in the, and no, no water in there, and just fill the washing tub with lamb's blood, and let's wash our clothes in there. Again, it's designed to be provocative, to shock us, to go, look, man, this blood that you think is evil and terrible is what purifies us from sin and saves us and gives us the ability not to walk, which means when we do communion every week here, in a few minutes, we're gonna, the band will come up, and we're gonna give you a chance to receive communion in four corners of the room. It's a piece of bread and juice, symbolizing... What the lamb did in our place to pay the penalty for our sin to enable us to walk out in victory over sin and temptation and persecution, to not just survive in this world for crying out loud, to thrive in it and win. So, man, some of you have been taught Revelation poorly. I was taught Revelation poorly my whole life. I read it poorly and my perspective was wrong on it because I thought it was designed to scare the hell out of me, literally. Just scare people to death, and there's this thing called rapture phobia. You don't want to be left behind, and all these terrible things are happening. Oh, I'll believe in Jesus. Like, that's not why it's here. It's not that if, you're, if you're freaked out by Revelation, you're not reading enough of it. You're just focusing on all the terrible stuff. It's given as graphic imagery to tell you it's going to be bad. You're not going to be saved from it. You're going to be saved through it, and you can win. Yes. Not just survive it. Here's the winning strategy. Three simple ideas. The first one, the number one is, when you're in the midst of tribulation and trials and difficulty, number one, cry it out. <laughs> cry it out. Revelation chapter 6, we looked at this last week. These people have seen their friends and family die because of being Christians. And they're saying, God, how long? And when you're going through difficult times where tribulation comes or overwhelming temptation, you're going, God, are you there? God, do you care? Our scriptures are full of this. Read Psalms sometimes. I think a fully third of them are people going, the, the worst of the band is writing songs, not like how great is our God. They're going, God, if you're so great, where the heck are you? Now, how come they keep getting, all the evil people keep winning and getting away with stuff? You cry out, you cry it out there. One of the little phrases we use around here all the time is it's okay not to be okay. Let's not pretend that things are okay. This silly notion that if you're a Christian, you walk out in victory and you just got to put a smile on your face and we're blessed and highly favored and all that religious mumbo jumbo nonsense. If all hell's breaking loose in your life, it's okay to cry out to God and go, I don't like this. Make it stop. Cry it out. Don't just stuff that stuff down deep inside. But the next thing we do, number two, is we sing it out. We sing it out. Look at verse, chapter 7, verse 10. Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. 
verse down, verse 12. Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. And then uh, in between chapter 9, there's chapter 10, 11. We'll look at those next week. But at the end of chapter 11, it tells us that the seventh trumpet blows. And, and look what God's people are saying and doing there. The world, look at verse 15, has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. We give thanks to you, Lord God the Almighty, the one who is and who always was, for now you have assumed your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were filled with wrath, but now the time of your wrath has come. It's time to judge and goes launches out like it's time for God finally to win the ultimate victory, to consummate the whole thing and take over. What we do in the face of evil and suffering is we sing. And we sing songs. Guys, if some of you remember this song from back then, I'm gonna get, get your hands free right now because I'm gonna need your participation with this. Remember, remember this song back in the day? Uh, and, and get ready to this. It's this. Come on, everybody. Yeah, done. And everybody's. We will, we will rock you, bam! This is the song of God's people. And you know what that song morphs into? Remember the Queen song? We are the champions. This is not the song of the world. This is the song of the church of Jesus Christ. She said, I will build my church and not even the gates of hell will be able to stand up to its attack. So like, we don't stand back and cower behind evil and persecution and suffering. We walk out there going, we will rock you. We're the ones that are gonna win this thing. So we sing it out. Yeah. We have a song that we do here. We're not going to do it this weekend. We do amazing songs this weekend. But I, it came to me this week as I was putting this together. One of the songs that the little line was, when I thought I lost me, you know where I left me, or something like that. You, you pursued my heart. And the little line at the end is, and all I did was worship. All I did was praise. All I did was stay still. And in a world that's frantic with kind of stuff, you know how you kick evil and Satan right in the throat? Sometimes there's an old song, it's, it comes out of lyrics, out of the scriptures. It's just be still and know that he is God. Because I'm telling you guys, when you get that in your soul, I'm telling you, Satan and demons go, oh no. Oh, no, because those people, they get that they've won. They know that the, the God has delivered a mortal wound to Satan and demonic kind of things, and they're flailing around right now, creating chaos meanwhile, but they know that they've won, and there's, they don't even get scared if they're going to die for their faith, because they know where they're, where they're going. They will walk into trials and difficulty of, their, uh, of other people's making, even if it means it costs them their life because they're committed to a king who says, even if I don't protect you from those trials, I'll protect you through and you will win and you're the victories. You don't just survive, you thrive. So we sing it out, we cry it out, and then the third one is we pray it out. We pray it out. Look at chapter eight. It's what Danny already read. I want to, you guys see this again. The lamb broke the seventh seal on the scroll. There was silence throughout heaven for about half an hour, which means there's no extroverts in heaven, but that's a different thing for a different day. Um, <laughs> I saw the seven angels who stand before God and they were given seven trumpets. And then, keep in mind now, heaven just went silent. And if you've seen visions of heaven, if you've been reading ahead and paying attention to stuff here, is heaven ever quiet in Revelation? 
No, it's like thunder and lightning storms and millions of people singing millions of millions. It's loud there. It goes quiet. It says, then another angel with a gold incense burner came and stood at the altar. And a great amount of incense was given to him to mix with the prayers of God's people as an offering to the gold altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense mixed with the prayers of God's holy people ascended up to God from the altar where the angel had poured them out. Heaven goes quiet when you, in your car on the way home, are just talking to God about something. When your little girl or boy does their bedtime prayers, with all the crazy stuff of heaven going on, God goes, undistracted attention. Now, the silence might be something else here, but this, the context will tell us that God's go, the prayers are coming. And you wonder sometimes, again, what's revelation is this apocalypse to peel back the curtain to show us, hey, sometimes, do you ever wonder, like me, I'm just praying and talking to somebody who's not there and I just don't feel like he's listening. I don't even know if he's listening. God's going, I'm, heaven quiets down when you pray. I'm, I'm listening intently to you. But he doesn't just listen to you. <laughs> then the angel filled the incense burner with fire from the altar and threw it down upon the earth and thunder crashed, lightning flashed, and there was a terrible earthquake. You know what that means? That God hears our prayers and takes decisive, dramatic action. Now, we oftentimes are not going to see thunder and lightning and stuff come down for prayers that we answer. But remember, this is a vision. It's apocalyptic literature. He's unveiling us to tell us, look, I'm listening to you. Heaven quiets down. And when you pray, decisive, dramatic things happen. Whether you see it right now or not, I want you to know that God rains down thunder and lightning and dramatic answers to your prayers. Big, amazing things happen when we pray. So, what we do when the horsemen of the apocalypse are riding all over our lives and our family and our church and our city and our nation. What we do when the trumpet warnings go out and all kinds of craziness and chaos breaks out, we cry it out, we sing it out, and we pray it out. And when you do that, you know what you're doing? You're kicking the devil right in the teeth. <laughs> Band's coming up right now. We're gonna sing. We're gonna come and receive communion today. And guys, understand when you sing here, we don't just sing songs, well, that's what church is supposed to do. We sing because it's the way that we deal with the stuff going on in the world. We don't just sit back quietly and just sing these songs, so sing it out. Some of you are here today, and you may need to sit, some time, sit there right now. You may have stuff going on in your life. You might need to cry it out right now. What you're dealing with right now is got you so heartbroken and so about it. It may not be possible for you to even sing one word right now. Just cry out to God. And then pray it out. I know for a fact every single week there are some of you that are here that just need to go talk to somebody and let somebody pray with you and pray for you. But like, you know, what are people going to think? Whatever. Our prayer team is at the back of the house. In the back corner back there. I'd encourage you. While people are getting up and receiving communion, like I talked about earlier, remembering Jesus in communion, Go back there. 
just quickly introduce yourself. Tell, tell them what you need prayer for. Or maybe just say, hey, just pray for me because you may, you may not be able to put it into words today. What's actually going on in your head and your heart and your soul right now? Go back there and pray with them. Jesus, today, we don't want to just get by. We don't want to just survive this world. We want to thrive. We want to win. Thank you for the perspective you gave John on a rocky, nasty, smelly island 2,000 years ago. God, it just rings so true for us right here, right now, today. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.